Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Matt Carpenter on August 15th, Lord's Day Service. Please turn this morning to Joshua chapter 5. We'll begin reading in verse 2. Joshua 5, verse 2. At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourselves, and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself, and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt, who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after there were males, excuse me, after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked forty years in the wilderness, till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons, whom he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised, because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was, when they had finished circumcising all the people, that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on that day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then manna ceased on that day after they had eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man stood opposite him, and his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us, or are you for our adversaries? So he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandal from your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for placing us upon holy ground. Thank you for bringing us out of bondage. Cause us to walk in the land that you have given. And may we do so in faith. Now may the words of mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Joshua chapters 1 through 5 is a series of necessary preparations 
before the actual conquest of the promised land started. You would expect after they came out of Egypt and then Deuteronomy, Moses died, you would expect, all right, they're finally ready. They can go into the promised land. And instead we get five chapters in Joshua of preparation. You see, preparation for battle, for conquest, is as important as the conquest itself. If you're not prepared for what the Lord has, if you don't give yourself to what may seem like menial tasks before you right now, you will not be prepared for the actual battle. There is much that our church can learn from the events of Joshua chapter 5. When we read the story of Joshua, it's easy to think that upon a particular time, Israel just decided, all right, we're ready. Enough playing around. Let's go on in. And that everything was just successful because you just, you know, you read Joshua chapter 6 and you see Jericho and then you have a hiccup at Ai and then just boom, 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 boom. You did this series of victories. So we can read this in a matter of, you know, less than 30 minutes. So we think, oh, I don't know, maybe a month or two. But this was five years of battle that Israel had. But the inevitability of Israel's conquest, we think similarly to when we remember what happened in the American colonies when when they fought the British in the late 1700s. For us, looking back, we think, oh, it it was bound to happen. You know, you, you just take some really good old boys who are those colonists, and they just they took it to the British, and of course, you know, just, just bing, bang, boom, it happened. But at the time, it was not inevitable. They were taking on, the, the American colonists were taking on one of the most, if not the most powerful nation in the European world. The other countries made it really clear who they were betting on at first, because no one was lending a hand to help the colonists. It didn't happen until midway in the war that France and Spain decided, well, maybe there's a chance. So then they started giving aid. But even with with that event, the colonists were defending their own territory. Israel here, after leaving Egypt, and wondering, Israel was going on the attack. And they had been wandering in the wilderness 40 years, all because they had refused to possess the promised land in the time God told them. They left Egypt. They were on the border. They were ready to go just a very short time after they left Egypt. And when they're on the border, they look. You remember the story. The spies saw what happened, and 10 of the spies said, no way. Two of the spies said, they're too big to miss. We can do this. And it was just those two men, Joshua and Caleb. They were the only ones who were still alive at this point that we just read. So once all the preparations were over, when when we come to the events of Joshua chapter 5, the preparations are over and it is now time to actually attack. In the last year, God has shown himself strong. He has worked mightily on behalf of our church. He's provided elders. He added members. 
and he has given to us far above all that we could ask or think. All of us who have gathered here today, we all have stories of deliverance. There are stories that, that we could tell about how God has worked in us individually, how he's worked in our church, how he's led us here. And I, can, speaking for myself, can say we are thrilled for how the Lord has led us here. We are grateful for what he has done. But like Israel of old, we must not get stuck in a mentality of only looking back at what has happened in the past. It is good to be thankful. It is good to remember. Those are good things. But we cannot live there. Israel had many stories they could tell about their 40 years in the wilderness, how God delivered them. He provided in many ways for them, how he brought them out of Egypt itself. But we are called today, Trinity Reformed Church, to the new covenant equivalent of possessing the land that God has put before us. This is our task. Now, I am not standing before you saying that we must establish a theocracy in Madison County. Okay? So, just hear that. But it is a call this day to purposefully represent our king. To use our gifts as we work the works of Christ and to bombard the gates of hell through worship, prayer, work, and discipleship all in the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing less will accomplish what is before us. So today... As we consider the text of Joshua 5, there are three things I want us to take from this passage that are necessary for us as we prepare to fulfill God's calling upon our church in this second year. The very first thing we see is the call to embrace your identity. Embrace your identity. Beginning in verse 2, we see that the wilderness generation was disobedient in following Yahweh to the promised land. And one of the manifestations, one of the ways that they were disobedient is they neglected the covenant sign of circumcision. So in, in refusing to circumcise their sons, all those who had been born in the wilderness... That communicates, it demonstrates a larger point that the older generation had largely failed to pass the faith on to future generations. If you don't hand the faith off to your children, there will be no hope of long-term victory. So before they could enter the land... They had to return to what they ignored, circumcision. You see, circumcision of the males, and in this case it was going to be males of all ages, so you had some who were 40 years old, who had been born right after, the right after they had left Egypt, and they're 40 years old. And God said, everyone who has not been must be circumcised because that is a display of their identity, that they belong to the true God. 
refusing circumcision demonstrated a lack of faithfulness, that is, of trust and obedience to God. We can minimize this. We can think, does it really matter what the outward is? Because we're a people who we're very attuned to emotions. We live in an emotionally driven society, and they say, all that matters is what's in your heart. So if you have a good heart, if you're sincere, and you know all the words, if you have this, that's what matters. The outward does not matter, but according to God's word, it does. God has always given signs that demonstrate who belongs to Him. Our covenant signs in the new covenant, baptism and communion, are a part of how we embrace our identity. In baptism, is declared when when the water comes on us it is declared that we belong to christ that's part of the meaning of peter that he gives in first peter chapter 3 verse 21 one of the more confusing at times verses about baptism where it calls peter calls baptism the answer or in the greek that 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 means the pledge of a good conscience Baptism is a pledge. It is a mark of identity. When you, many of you are accustomed to pledging allegiance, right? Okay. Well, when you pledge allegiance, what are you saying? You're saying, I am a citizen of the United States of America. I am not a citizen of, and name, you could name all the other existing countries. I'm not there. This is, I'm... <coughs> pledging to the United States. When someone immigrates to the United States, there is a ceremony of bringing this person into citizenship. And when a family comes in, all who come in are made citizens, regardless of their age. You see, when people come from another country to the United States, we don't say, well, the parents can become citizens and we'll let the children decide once they get older. Countries still maintain household citizenship. The church didn't learn that from the political sphere. The political sphere got it from the church. They got it from the way God's people have always worked. But if baptism is our pledge, if it is our mark of identity, well, what do you do when the water dries? Because you, 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 you apply the water, and then what? The water dries off. Well, what is our mark then? You display your identity from that point on by living a life of holiness unto the Lord. Just like when the men were healed from circumcision, they demonstrated their identity by going to war. That was how they showed that they were God's people. They were faithful in that calling. We demonstrate our identity that we belong to God through living a life in submission to the commands of Christ. 
So when the world comes against you, remember who you are. You are bought by the blood of Christ, washed in pure water, filled with the Spirit, and pledged to the only living and true God. Embrace your identity. The second thing we see in this passage, Israel is called to embrace responsibility. The manna stopped when Israel came into the promised land. We see that in verse 12. The manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. So they go into the land. When they cross Jordan, they begin to enjoy the fruits of that land. Now, they had had manna for 40 years. But manna was the food of immaturity. That's not an insult. Just like it's not insulting for babies to eat baby food. They can't digest the regular food yet. They needed manna in the wilderness. Because as we all know, the wilderness is not a place that's just fraught with lush gardens. You, you just you know, drive through Death Valley. There's a reason why it's called Death Valley and not Life Valley. Because it's dead. It's hot, it's dry. They needed the supply that God would give them. We also are called, just as they were called, they had to now take responsibility for gathering their own food. That we are called also to embrace responsibility. God has blessed us in our first year with many gifts. He has made things, He has smoothed the way for us in ways that we could not manufacture. There are things that we could not have done ourselves, just like manna in the wilderness. And we're thankful. These gifts made it much easier. But He now calls us to maturity, to exercise our gifts more and more. God doesn't place saints in the church to fill a seat and, in our case today, enjoy the lack of air conditioning. Okay? He doesn't call us just to be here to sit and then come back again next week and do the same. As Christians, He has given us His Spirit and He's given us gifts. And we're called to exercise the gifts that He has given. As we embark now on our second year, we must understand that He allows growing pains. Growing pains come. Things happen. Removing the manna from Israel was like taking the training wheels off. The more we grow as a church, the more responsibility we will have. And here I'm not even talking about official responsibilities. I'm not talking about titles. Although there will be a need for more of those also, but I'm re referring to organic ministry. What we heard about this morning in the exhortation, already Many have stepped in 
to encourage and to minister to others when a need arose and the body is stronger because of it. This cannot be something that the elders have to organize. And we are grateful. I can't tell you how grateful we are for the way that God's people have been gathering and taking initiative to meet with each other, to encourage each other, to invite one another into your homes, and to make known that you love one another. That is not found everywhere. And many of you can attest to that. But at the same time, we can't stop just to say, good job us. We've arrived. We haven't. Every step, every blessing that God gives is accompanied by further responsibilities in His kingdom. This is not something to shrink back from. And, and please don't hear this as me. This is no complaint. Don't, please don't hear it that way. We rejoice at what He has done, but now there is a broad horizon in front of us. And He has said, it's time to go. As we are faithful, the Lord will send us more people who have needs. They will need us to minister to them, encourage them, to mentor them. You may say, I don't know how to do this. I'm just fill in the blank. Whatever. This is a very common thing. I mean, look at Moses. When God told Moses what he was going to do, Moses did not say, well, of course you've taught me how to do these things. Let's, let's go. He said, perhaps you've forgotten what my weaknesses are. But God said, no, I am with you. And then he sent Aaron to help Moses. You see, God's not going to give you anything to do that if, if you are weak, he's not going to say you have to do it by yourself. He will send others to help you to accomplish, to help you to do what it is that he wants you to do. All he requires of you is that you are willing to follow. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Bring a meal. Sit down with a cup of coffee with another person. Pray with someone. Read scripture together. Invite people over. Build relationships. Embrace the responsibilities of maturity. Consider the gifts you have. And then consider, how can I use my gifts to bless others and to build God's kingdom? And don't think it has to be limited only to this church. Certainly not. Whoever he brings across your path is a person that will one day, as C.S. Lewis said, either be someone you'd be tempted to fall down and worship if you could see them right now, or someone who will, on the other hand, be someone so hideous you, could, you would be afraid to look at. We don't know. We have no idea what God is doing. So use your gifts to manifest God's glory to whomever he brings across your life. Embrace responsibility. Third, 
And I will tell you, this is my favorite of the three points. Follow your captain in faith. It seems like that there's just an abrupt turn in Scripture, but, but actually it's not. This is the final element of preparation. Joshua in chapter 5, verse 13, is confronted by a man, and Joshua's first thought, because we know that this man had a sword. His sword was drawn. Joshua's question is, whose side is he on? So, so we, we know that this was not just some menial soldier. This was not a private in the Canaanite army. Joshua knew if, if he is on our side, we're in good shape. But if he's not, if he's on their side, I mean, now Joshua had seen giants before, right? He knew what giants looked like, but he knew that this was, a, this was no just mere giant. But it was not a question of whose side this man is on. He tells Joshua what matters is whether or not Israel is on his side. There's no way they could conquer the Canaanites unless they followed and obeyed this captain's instruction. The captain, who is, as we know, Jesus in his Old Testament incarnate form, goes on to give instructions to Joshua. And this is one of the more unfortunate chapter breaks in Scripture because if you read, you can think after in verse 15, he's told, he tells Joshua, take off your sandals for the place you stand is holy. And Joshua does so. And then we think, okay, chapter break. Joshua goes to sleep, wakes up. You know, we, we just kind of process that in our mind, but that's not the case. There's a parenthetical statement in chapter 6, verse 1. It says that, that Jericho was shut up securely. And then in verse 2, the story's just still rolling. With he's, he's talking to the captain of the army of the Lord. He said, and the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given you Jericho in your hand. The instructions from that soldier are, are continuing. He's still telling Joshua what to do. But the important thing to see from this is that Israel was called to follow him. Not the other way around. We don't just work and then ask God to bless whatever it is we feel like doing. When we consider what's happened in the last year, there is no way that our leaders, the leaders of this church, could manufacture and carry out a plan to build a church on our own. You all have seen us. You know that there's no way we could do that. This is not a human work. The normal methods of church growth development, as much as I dislike that phrase, were not followed. Trinity Reformed Church exists because God brought this group of people not just leaders, but everyone. God has brought this group of people together to worship, fellowship, and build one another up. And our only hope for future growth is to follow our King, Jesus Christ. And to follow Him wherever He leads us. The only plan 
that we have is to follow Christ, to live out His commands, to make disciples beginning in our households. Make disciples and shepherd the flock as He calls us to. That is the plan. It's not fancy. We're not calling. We do not pray for a second outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We're not asking for Pentecost 2.0. Because the Spirit of Christ came at Pentecost and He's still here. He has not left. He's still with us. God's means of grace, planted and demonstrated year after year, will leave an effect in coming generations that will be exponential. Now, now don't, don't think when I use this, th th these terms about God's working that, that we're just passive in this. We're not saying, well, God's Spirit is here, so He's working, and I'm going to watch. No, following the captain of the army of the Lord means engagement with the enemy. It means that there will be battles. The Lord has brought you through battles in the past year. He will continue leading you through battles. Israel had to fight to conquer the land over a period of years. And like them, our battle requires faithfulness, obedience, and courage. But hear me when I tell you, None of these things that I've talked about today are me telling you you have to do all these things and if you don't feel like it, just scrap up your boots and get with it. Not at all. You are filled with God's Spirit. You've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. He has not left you alone. He has given you what you need, no matter how weak you feel at times, no matter when you think, I don't know how I can even go. And there are some days when you don't feel like you can go. He says to you, I am with you. Follow. Can you imagine how Joshua felt when he says, when that soldier, when that captain says, I am the captain of the army of Yahweh. I am. Okay? That's who he is. The I am who is with Moses. The I am who is with Abraham. The one who made everything. He's the one that Joshua was speaking to. Can you imagine what went through Joshua's mind and heart? How he felt when he sees we get to follow him. We're following him. Can you imagine how joyful it would have been to know he's the one we get to follow? Brothers and sisters, he is the one we get to follow. We cannot be slack after our first year relying on previous blessings. But we can know that God has called us and he has given us all that we need to embrace our identity in Christ, to embrace 
responsibility and to follow our captain rather than seek our own purposes. We don't come together to accomplish political goals, business goals, or relational goals, although those are often the fruits of faithful work. Our purpose for gathering here is to seek the kingdom of God and demonstrate how that kingdom looks before the world. You see, with Joshua, there was one piece of land, the promised land that was holy. With Moses in the past, it was a small piece of land at the burning bush. Then when, jo when he speaks to Joshua, it is the land of promise. And now Jesus said in Matthew 28, All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore into all the world, all nations, teach all nations, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everywhere you walk belongs to the king. It is holy ground. We don't know what God has in store for us over the next year. His plan will lead us through mountains and valleys. There will be blessings and burdens, crosses and joys. We will need one another more and more. But if you will embrace the identity he's given, accept responsibility as his child, and follow the captain just as our fathers did, we will, by his grace, fulfill the calling he has placed upon us in this next year. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for setting before us our King, the captain of our salvation, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he leads us in his triumph, having made a spectacle over principalities and powers. And now may we walk in obedience to his commands and teach others to do the same. Through Christ we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.